Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Basor, as always, and today we have a special guest, MRA Executive Director, Mr. Andrew Brisbo. Uh, Andrew, thanks for being on the show again. My pleasure, Ryan. Always glad to be with you. Cool, cool. And with us today, Kevin over at True Cannabis. Kevin, uh, what's going on today? Oh, not much. Doing uh, some running around, just uh, trying to get uh, my other facilities up and running and licensed. And uh, I do have some news, though, some good news. Uh, I talked to Josie today, uh, Josie Scroggins, and on Friday I have my appointment for uh, meeting with Barton Morris for my expungement. So uh, things are starting to move along. Uh, Anybody that's trying to get, uh, you know, their their, uh, marijuana cases expunged, contact the Great Lakes Expungement Network. You can reach them at 269-214-4495. Um, or you can look at them up at uh, greatlakesexpungement.com. Awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Glad to hear that. And we're starting to get uh, get people expunged. So it's working. Uh, it's exciting. And uh, Tom, not in uh, not in Kalkaska, uh, out of out of the state. Well, care to elaborate? Uh, no, I'm in an undisclosed location currently, but I'm happy to be on the show today. <laughs> okay. Always always a pleasure to have the director on on the show and you know being so open to talk to us this is looking forward to it awesome well uh you know we've had director brisbane on the show before and 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 everybody that listens to the show knows knows who uh knows who he is but i was actually uh um you know director was just up at the micia event it was a great event was up talking uh uh, gave a talk to everybody um we, we were having a conversation how uh, it's nice, Andrew, that you talk to the bud tender and the owner of the company and treat them the same way um, and, and do your research and your due diligence. And first time I met you, I remember uh, I saw you I saw you playing uh, trivia and you had a two man team that was just we were barely beating with like 10 people. So I knew you're pretty smart. And, uh, uh, you know, and then I know it was uh, it was a uh, pre it was before 2019, before you got this position. And uh, um, I think you had talked to a few people, maybe Robin Schneider and said, hey, this is Ryan and uh, told him about me. And then all of a sudden you came up to me the next week and uh, and introduced yourself. And I thought, man, this guy does better background uh, checking than I do. So he's, uh, he's probably pretty good at the job. But I uh, appreciate that. But today um, we were going to, you know, focus on originally the uh, uh, the new the new um, basically um, bulletin and the new directive that uh, as far as the with the edibles, the packaging and keeping them out of uh, children's hands um, appealing to them and then also maybe, you know, worrying about, uh, looking exactly like other trademark candy bars and things like that. But then just to this morning, we saw that there's another, uh, another, uh, um, bulletin and it talks about, uh, uh, clones. And, um, so would love to, uh, jump into both of those and you can take it, uh, start with whatever one you want. And, uh, if you want to give a little background and, and the, the, the analysis behind it. Sure. Well, I'll start with the edibles and the packaging. Uh, that that's something that was has always been a critical focus of the agencies to ensure that products aren't accidentally ingested, particularly by minors. And 
as we started to get back out into the field and looking at some of the media coverage around the national increase in poison control center calls related to uh, young people accidentally ingesting marijuana products and, and some other coverage about uh, you know, large candy companies starting to sue cannabis manufacturers who are making products they think are infringing on their intellectual property. We thought it was a good opportunity for us to provide some clarification on how we interpret and apply the rules that are on the books. And, you know, we, we think it's beneficial for everyone to see that versus handle those on a one-off basis. When we start to see issues that are persistent across the board, we've long held that we'll issue guidance so that everyone understands what we're seeing. Uh, we can encourage best practices. Everyone's aware of things that we see as issues before we have to actually show up in a licensed establishment and, and you know potentially go down a corrective action or disciplinary path. Better that we just describe to everyone how we interpret the rules and the laws on the books so that there's clarity across the board. Um, and, and obviously, I, I haven't talked to anyone that, that is interested in getting marijuana products in the hands of minors, uh, save you know the few number of qualified patients we have who are minors. So there is a pathway for medicinal use to get access to the market. But you know, beyond that, we have standards for, for packaging that's been on the books uh, for quite a while in terms of uh, adopting standards uh, that, that require the packages be resealable and, and child resistant. Uh, but when we were looking at some of the things uh, that we were seeing in terms of pictures on the packages or, you know, wanting clarification uh, to be clear to those that are of the age that they can read that this is, say, not just a gummy, but it is a marijuana infused or THC infused gummy so that everyone who's reading that knows that it's a marijuana product. And then on the immature plant sales, that's another thing we've been working on for quite some time. We deliberately put that in the rules back last June and we needed to develop uh, more fully that process on how someone could qualify to, to make those types of sales. Uh, requiring uh, GMP or GACP certification for the grower uh, and you know the process by which the plants end up at the sales location. We actually had a, an ad hoc work group that helped us work on that because we wanted to hear from the industry, you know, how would the logistics of this work? We didn't have it fully defined. And this is, uh, you know, based on the recommendations of that group, we came up with this guidance and now there's an opportunity to actually uh, sell plants to consumers. Hey, Andrew, this is Kevin Pibus over at True Cannabis. I wanted to quickly thank you for uh, making yourself so readily available for us to have these kind of discussions. This is the second time you've made yourself available for our little show. Uh, you're, you've been up to the MICIA conference this last summer. Uh, I thought it was a great time. But um, I did have a quick question for you. When I see things like um, what you're talking about, I don't disagree with you. 100% I agree with the fact that we got to keep these things out of miners' hands. But I feel like um, a lot of businesses did have a ton of money invested in packaging, and, and now we're making a change. Um, uh, you know, I see when I go to the drugstore, I, I, we're not allowed to use the marijuana leaf. We're not allowed to use the green cross. And I'm not in disagreement with that. But I do see, uh, you know, a, specifically a pharmacy here in Lansing that has a big green cross. I think people get confused by it. They don't know what's going on. And then secondarily, you go into the drugstore and you see a marijuana leaf on the front of a, a drug testing uh, kit. Um, can you kind of explain what the difference is there and, and, and what you think about that being allowed but not being allowed in another industry? Well, we focus our regulations on the industry that we regulate uh, and the you, you raise some some logical points some reasonable points when when we make these determinations uh, I, I've heard a lot and seen a lot of chatter now about uh, you know these types of restrictions aren't on alcohol products that are currently available in the market uh, but at the same time this is uh, a new and innovative industry 
Uh, the alcohol industry hasn't had, you know, a 200% increase in the number of poison control center calls over the last year. So it's, it's certainly we, something we can't ignore. And we want to make sure that, that there's responsibility in terms of how these products end up in, in people's hands. And it's, everything is new uh, and, and is, is novel. And I think we're all kind of learning together as we see where the risks are. But we've always been clear that uh, our mission as an agency is to protect public health, safety and welfare and to allow businesses to succeed. So where we can balance that out, for example, in this circumstance, there's a key issue that we thought we had to correct. We had to provide this clarification on how we're interpreting the existing standards uh, before we you know, ha potentially have to engage in, in tighter restrictions via the, the rules or the laws if we see other concerns. And we don't wanna go down that pathway if we can encourage compliance with the existing standards and, and stay ahead of, of some of these issues. We think that's the way to go about it. But in consideration for the fact, to, to the point you made about uh, the, the uh, suppliers or the the processors getting you know months of supply of packaging that's why we allowed for six months where we're going to focus on issues offer clarifications give time for people to be fully compliant and also provide a pathway where they can modify the packaging that's that's there so they don't just have to throw things away either so we want to be reasonable as we you know offer these clarifications and and implement standards yeah, we no, I think that's those are really good points, and I'm I'm glad that you guys are are, are now allowing uh, for stuff like that where we're we're setting timelines to make it so that we can adapt as we move forward. So that that's great. I'm glad you pointed that out. Well, we know that customers aren't going to actually always self-regulate themselves, um, but I do want to talk about consumer responsibility when you're talking about a regulated substance uh, like cannabis, and um, we. I keep all of everything that I have is in a lockbox. Nobody can get to it. I have the combination. And I feel that all people should keep all of their edibles and all cannabis products locked away. Um, are, are, are there options for people out there that don't necessarily have that type of resource um, for, you know, to go out and access uh, lockboxes uh, maybe within their community or other programs available for people? And how would they access that? Yeah, I think you make a, a great point, Tom. And, and that's always been one of the, the, the key issues is we control what happens at the store. But once the products are at home, obviously we can't regulate that, that behavior. But that's why we do take some of these preventative measures. We think about how the packaging and the types of products available might, uh, might be viewed within a, within a home setting. Uh, but I think one great resource is a lot of uh, local public health departments through the grant funding program that the that the agency oversees are offering free lockboxes for marijuana products as well. So that's I don't know how many of them do that, but I know it's multiples. And I think Robin Snyder from the MICIA even had that in her her quote in our press release that those those programs are available. So I would suggest doing some outreach into your local public health department. They may have resources for you. Right. That's cool. So I have a I have a question. It's obviously for. Uh, edibles do you foresee you know as far as on you know flower eight packages uh, seeing some of the same rules as far as uh, whether it be cartoon or fruit or anything like that so a lot of those standards are universally universally applicable to, to all products in terms of being appealing to minors we've really focused on the edible and infused products because the products themselves could be easily confused. I think it's less likely that a young person is, you know, going to accidentally uh, roll up the flower and smoke it. Uh, <laughs> and you know, if they if they might eat it, but I I'd be surprised if they did that too. And ultimately, that's that's not really as much of a risk because the it's not activated yet. Should they consume it? So, you know, we try and focus on what the key key issues are. Uh, you know, ultimately, 
what we're trying to convey here is there's a responsible way to go about this. Every, every law that's on the books was written with a certain amount of attention paid to preventing youth access and making sure that things were done in a responsible manner. And that's why the, the agency exists. Uh, we want to be flexible and allow businesses to advertise their products, but we have to make sure that that's done in a way that uh, won't be confusing to young people. Okay. Uh, a question uh, also on the, uh, on the, um, the three clones. Um, I think it's great that, uh, you know, people are going to be able to, you know, build their brands and sell actually legally to, to the uh, consumers and uh, under uh, without worrying about any you know blowback from the police. Uh, but what uh, th I did notice the difference that now and you mentioned it that it's GMP standards now for clones. It's not for flour, but for clones. You said you had a work group. How, how did that kind of come about where the GMP was decided on? Uh, we actually had that in the rules all along, so that so that wasn't oh, okay. something that was up for discussion in the work group. But what we were trying to to consider was all the products as they move through the supply chain have to be subject to state testing standards. But you can't really test a plant, uh, you know. We we and we didn't want to implement the the program that way. So the the GACP certification for the grower is a mechanism by which we can ensure that this grower meets certain standards and that we feel comfortable then that the plants can move through the supply chain as 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 a whole plant versus being harvested and then the product being tested so that we make sure that that the plant that ends up in the hands of the consumer and that they're taking home is free of any banned pesticides for example. Yeah, I feel it's important for uh most producers in the uh, regulated space to start thinking about GMP across the board regardless because as federal legalization comes that's going to become more of a conversation you need to be having and uh, you need to be ready for that if you want to actually sell in the uh, in the market however it unfolds. That, that's a great point, Tom. And we've always looked at the state standards with an eye on what we thought federal standards would look like in the future so that business operators in the state were already conforming with what those standards would be at some point in the future. And you're absolutely right. We, we try to incentivize and provide benefits uh, and we'll be publishing something probably relatively soon related to that for any uh, uh, grower, I think processors as well, who get the GMP or GACP certification, that there'll be a financial incentive for them to do that choosing not to go the mandatory approach, but I think you make a great point, Tom. Eventually, it's likely in a national uh, legal market, you'll probably have to have that have that standard being met. Yeah, we thank you for that proactive approach, for sure. You and Tom uh, both mentioned uh, fed federal legalization, and um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we saw an introduction, uh, first time of, uh, of, of of some language to try to, to make that happen. Um, what was your your take on what you had read and and what they're proposing? And do you expect that um, the federal government will reach out to people like yourself, uh, directing states for their input on how we can implement this and make this so it's a success across the country? My initial impression is that federal bills are even harder to read than state bills. Uh, I don't, I don't like the formatting. I'm used to the way we do things in Michigan, but uh, you know, there were some, some interesting concepts and it's far reaching, uh, you know, in terms of the strategic approach and whether it has success, I'll leave that to, to the experts who would know more than I do. Uh, our goal, and, and I'm working on this, I, I uh, co-chair the Federal Policy Committee with our Cannabis Regulators Association group. Uh, we did have a preliminary discussion trying to look at the issues, not advocating for anything specific, but drawing attention to issues where there might be concerns 
I was pleased to see that, you know, the federal position paper that, that we produced as a part of that, that regulators group called out the key issues that we thought needed to be addressed in any uh, federal policy reform. And it appears as though they've, broadly speaking, hit on all those topics. So the devil will be in the details and we want to be at the table to share a state regulators approach. And I think from my perspective as well, thinking through what the impacts would be on the Michigan market, which is growing, is successful. Uh, I think uh, the businesses and the agency are doing a good job in ensuring it's done in a responsible way and consumers are protected. So, so we don't want to see that upset uh, with any potential federal changes. So I think it's important that everyone who's a stakeholder in the industry in Michigan and in the country uh, looks at that and, you know, um, make sure their feedback is heard. But I think our, our organization wants to make sure that state regulators have a seat at the table when uh, that's moving through the process. Yeah, I think one of the things that stood out the most to me, um, and I think to most people when they read the article, uh, I didn't read actually the bill, but I did read um, some highlights from uh, from the bill, um, but was the tax uh, increase uh, up, upwards of 25% um, in the fifth year of the program for, uh, for producers that are producing above, I think it was $10 million in product a year or something along those lines. Um, as we try to combat the black market, I think one of the things that we struggle with is trying to get it to a price point at the retail uh, that's competitive with the black market and makes it uh, you know, a value for the customer to be able to do that. Um, what do you think of that when you hear a potential of 25% increase in tax? I think you're right. The, t the taxation is often cited as, as uh, one piece of a big puzzle in terms of competitiveness with with the illicit market, and you know what we've seen in Michigan is is now uh, I think greater participation by consumers in the regulated market, and I think a piece of that is prices that are that are competitive in that space. I think it was always clear that there was going to be some form of federal tax. What the right number uh, on that will be, or the method by which it's taxed, is is open to discussion. So I, I don't have a very well thought out opinion on it at this point, uh, but is is something I'm surely I'm sure is going to be hotly debated. And for sure with that, and as, as everyone in the industry knows, we're already getting federally taxed really hard with 280E. And, you know, what's the difference on that? But our, our friend of the show, Weldon Angelos, we had on, was is working with the, the Koch brothers in, in the Senate there. So hopefully uh, if they bring some good to it, they'll they'll lower that tax rate for us. But um, I had a question. You uh, you brought up your, you know, the, the, the national group of regulators you're with. And um, we see you uh, out at uh, um, the businesses that you're regulating. You're coming to uh, events. You're speaking on a podcast. Is that common in any other state agencies in Michigan and or is that common in the other states cannabis regulators? You're kind of your peers. Are they doing the same thing anywhere or are you just out um, kind of blazing a trail with it? Well, Ryan, you know, I'm, I'm special. I like to do things my own way. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, uh, the one thing I learned from my dad was you got to work hard. And so I'm going to keep working hard. And, and I think we recognize at the agency level in Michigan that we didn't know everything. And this is going to be a dynamic industry and hard to keep up with. And a great way to learn about it is to talk to the people who are engaging in the practices, who are seeing issues that we might not think of from a business owner's perspective. And, and the closer I can be to that personally versus expecting my team to bubble up all those issues to me, I think the, the better I can do my job, the more informed I can be. I can bring issues to them and force them to work on them and, and look at things from a different perspective as well. Um, I've been in state government a long time, since 2004. I do a lot more speaking on this topic 
than I did on, on uh, say, occupational regulation of engineers and accountants and cosmetologists. But I think a lot of that is because it's, it's novel, it's still growing, uh, but I will always stay engaged with the industry associations, uh, make sure we understand the industry perspective. Uh, I rarely say no to speaking engagements. If someone wants to hear about what we're doing, I'm, I'm happy to do it and, and talk specifically to areas that will interest them. Uh, I have some speaking engagements coming up with, I, I'm gonna speak to a group of CPAs actually in a, in a little while. Uh, earlier, I think it's a little bit later this month to talk about you know the annual financial statements and how CPAs are providing services. So there's a lot of different topics to cover, and you know I'm happy to lend my perspective where people think it's a value. Yeah, do you know are the other uh, regulators in the other states are they are they following suit? Uh, do you guys have those conversations on how how like uh, the dynamics of uh, each state is and how that group works? I, I'm not sure any of them do it quite as quite as much as I do, but they they definitely have uh, involvement from various perspectives. I think it all depends on the maturity of your program as well. You know, in the early days of of implementing the laws, go back to you know late 2016, early 2017. I just didn't have the time to be out and, and doing speaking engagements. There was there was too much work to be done. But now that we've built out a strong team, uh, and I tell you what, I learned a lot about remote work over the past year, even though I was traveling quite a bit before that and how much you can accomplish. You don't have to be in the office in the same place all the time. So having that flexibility and I can take calls while I'm driving and, you know, hook up from hotels and engage in uh, Zoom calls and so forth and stay stay linked up with my team and still get work done. But there's, there's no replacement for speaking to uh, business operators at their businesses. And I it also invigorates me when I hear the passion and the stories. Every business owner I've talked to when I visited a facility has some personal experience that they share as to how they ended up in this industry. And I, I find those stories you know, very helpful to inform my perspective so I can consider uh, the personal relationship they have with their business operation when we're uh, you know, creating a regulatory environment that allows them to succeed. People are very passionate about cannabis, that's for sure. <laughs> So how uh, I saw an update uh, uh, on one of the Facebook pages, not yours, but uh, looks like you were in uh, second place last I checked on the Dapper Dads. Was uh, oh, Ryan, was you got to uh, catch up. I'm in first place now. Oh, you're in first place. Holy <laughs> smokes. I think that, I've, I've that's, sending a, that's sending some messages to the local uh, Dapper Dads. I, I'm friends with some of those other guys, you know, at uh, the power of uh, the cannabis industry, I guess. Uh, that's awesome, though. I wonder, I wonder if my bid is leading. <laughs> uh, uh, another question I have, something, you know, you heard Kevin talking about our expungement program, and we, we're doing a lot of other things. We got a, um, there's got a cool announcement coming uh um, it's happening August 11th. Jason Samirsky is getting out of out of um, prison um, for a horrible probation violation type deal. So, but I noticed in the uh, proposed new administ- administrative rules, there's the 300 plant micro license. And does that have any connection to social equity or social equity work group? And um, how, uh, what are our chances of getting that? I'm a big fan of them. So, so the the basis of that wasn't a recommendation that came from the racial equity advisory work group. And uh, we, we did tweak the recommendation as it was presented, but still feel like we're addressing the two primary concerns that were cited as to, you know, the limitation on the existing microbusiness model, those being uh, the cost of processing and the lack of biomass to be sustainable. So we think this model in increasing the plant count, uh, only allowing that business to sell the flour that they produce, but being able to source the other manufactured products from other processors will allow them to be competitive. 
Uh, if they have a skill set where they can produce good flour, they can sell that and then they can have the variety of products that I think is necessary to run a sustainable business. Uh, so I don't know what kind of feedback we're going to get on it. Hopefully we hit the sweet spot and uh, it's something that everyone can support. I'm a I'm a, I'm a big proponent of it, and there, you know there haven't been that many micro licenses, and you know as we know it's 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 probably it's the business model uh, getting getting those those uh, longer too. Uh, I know we uh, I know you have a hard out, you're a busy busy man, but one one last question just because uh, you know we have a lot of interest in them. What uh, what's your feel on the the lounges and when some might be opening soon? Or do you have any idea you've been working on talking to some of the operators? Yeah, the, the, I think the stumbling block there is, is twofold. One is, I, I don't think a lot of municipalities have opened the doors for those just yet. Um, I think there's confusion about what's allowed and what's not with those license types based on some of the questions I've gotten recently. Um, you know, the folks that have wanted to establish those, I think are struggling with what does the business model look like? And when we allowed that license type, it was trying to stay ahead of the inevitable questions about it and, and the interest in social consumption and, and setting standards so that could be done in a responsible way and, and there was a license type for it. What we didn't really provide was how to make it profitable. That's not really our, our role per se. But I think some folks will come up with creative models, either partnering with temporary events or, you know, having close proximity to a sales location that will allow them to be successful. Uh, but, you know, it's as, as you all well know, finding a place to put a marijuana business in the state is not the easiest thing in, in the first place, uh, let alone one where, you know, the, the sales piece of the operation, which is, I think, what makes it profitable to be a retailer, obviously, you can't necessarily accompany that. Uh, so what your structure is to bring in revenue, I think, is, is something people are grappling with at this point. Yep. For sure. It's definitely not a for-profit venture. It has to have something else tied with it. And the insurance is also another question because it's a very uh, on a liability end. It's still there's a lot of unanswered questions and stuff. I know we're, that's what we're dealing with. And I'd had some conversations with folks on the insurance side about whether, you know, what general liability coverage looked like and how much it would cost. And, you know, with the new uh, legislation that just passed that will be effective in October for the dram shop requirements as well. And, and having another insurance product that will be necessary potentially for those kinds of facilities as well. Nice. Um, you know, it, but also provide some liability protection for folks making sales in the, in the industry as well. Uh, it, it's it's not an easy license type. Uh, and I think. I'm not sure if anyone wants to be first to be the one that figures it out the hard way. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's still it's exciting, and obviously COVID, I'm sure has a has a role to play in that as well. But you know, I know you have a hard out. We uh, we we definitely got to get out of here real quick. I want to let uh, Kevin and and Tom uh, say goodbye to you and uh, get you on your your next appointment. So go ahead, Kevin. Hey, again, Andrew, I really appreciate you making yourself available for us. I appreciate your candor and everything. Um, you impressed me today when you made a comment about uh, about kids eating uh, eating flour and that it's uh, it's not activated and, and they're not going to get high. You know, um, that that's impressive to me because that tells me that you're actually digging into this and you're actually taking all this stuff in and, and learning a lot. And, and I don't know that everybody else uh, that are direct in other states are doing that kind of stuff. So we, we appreciate that. We appreciate your understanding and, and trying to trying to understand where all this is coming from so thank you for being on the show and uh, i wish you the best yeah i just um, want to echo what kevin had to say uh and also thank you again for always being so accessible i want to take you up on that rain check though for the visit to the uh on, on a tour so next time you're up 
uh, have have your people call my people. We'll take a look at the Brisberry. <laughs> Tom, I saw a post saying that Willy Wonka had closed the tours, so it looks like you're making an exception. Uh, we may have to. Okay, all right. Um, director, any uh, any final words for the uh, the people listening to the show? I just appreciate the opportunity to get the word out directly. And, you know, as much as you appreciate me being here, I appreciate the chance to, to put it in my own words versus, you know, having folks try to explain what they think I think. I'm, I'm happy to tell anyone what I think and what we're doing. And I'm willing to be accountable for the decisions we make uh, and, and hear you know, feedback, even if it's uh, not necessarily positive feedback. And uh, to Tom's point, yeah, I'm getting back out on the road. A lot of travel in September. So anyone who's interested in uh, having me stop by their facility, I like to see all the different types of operations. So just shoot me an email. I'll be happy to stop by. Thank you. Thank you. So um, great show today. Made me kind of think. Uh, I remember back in uh, you know, right after at the end of 18, beginning of 19, and you know, people like to complain this or that, but people don't understand how uh, how it could have gone if uh, there was a lot of lobbyists uh, trying to get into your position, and that would have been disastrous, disastrous for our law. So, um, you know, Michigan market is jamming. Uh, I think it's it is it is one of the it is the best state to do business in for the little guy, and if a big guy. Uh, wants to compete that focus on their own business that then they can succeed too so with that thanks for being on director and we'll see everybody next week the smoke and rope podcast is produced and hosted by me ryan basor the owner of redemption cannabis have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show contact us at ryan b at redemptioncanna.com thanks for being along for the journey